This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to Affable Chat, the best podcast on the internet. And welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And how about that intro? Pretty cool intro, right? It is cool. Big name on the podcast, DJ Jones, close personal friend of the podcast. Today, we're talking about The Dark Knight Rises. So you came back to die with your city? No. I came back to stop you. This is a Batman movie. Directed by Christopher Nolan. The cast includes Patrick Bateman, Eddie Brock, Maul, Don John, Gary Youngman, The Princess Diaries, God, and My Cocaine. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Prime. And obviously, this is neither one of our first viewing of this movie, but those are ways you can access it if you'd like to right now. Joey, go ahead and hit us with a synopsis. An aging man uses this one weird trick to fix his chronic back pain. Doctors hate him. That's right. That is the story of uh, Batman The Dark Knight Rises, the third movie in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. It's good to be back and talking about Batman, Joey. Our, is it? Uh, <laughs> it's been about a year. We did a Batman <laughs> month last August, and it That's was right. great. Learned a lot about Batman. And, uh, and we're back, baby. We're bat baby and uh let's get right into it with the pros oh god um let's get in the stage really well here yes um we'll start i'll start with my pros uh, i think that like any christopher nolan film this movie is very well planned out uh there's he doesn't waste a lot of your time as far as like what you're hearing from the characters most of the time when someone is saying something they're either setting something up or referencing something from the past and uh i i always enjoy that i i think he treats his audience like they're intelligent and this is just another example of that good use of an ensemble cast this movie isn't just about batman slash bruce wayne there's other characters get a chance to shine uh there's a nice little twist there at the at the end it keeps it interesting twist of the knife Yes, to end Twist to the Knife, which may be a little bit on the nose, but we'll get into that. Uh, Bane is super cool in this movie, and we're going to talk a lot about him. And I think that this is a fitting ending for, for the Bat and just in general for the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Okay. Um, stuff I liked was uh, there was a lot of really cool visuals, a lot of really awesome stunts. They're very memorable, stuff that really sticks with you. Some really cool Batman stuff, um, mostly solid acting throughout. And there's a really consistent theme. There's a bunch of different stuff going on in the background of this movie that is kind of nice to look at, nice to think about. Um, but yeah, some of the stuff I don't like about this movie, there's lots of things I don't like about this movie. Um, it's boring, first of all. The plot, I feel like, is, is confusing. Um, and I feel like the dialogue seems like it's from a different movie altogether. It doesn't like, quite fit all the time. The action feels uncomfortable, which I want to talk about a little bit later. Um, and lot, there's lots of characters in the background that just don't matter and they just kind of die just because they're there to die. Yeah, as this movie goes on, I, I think the 
like Miranda slash Bane's plot for Gotham just gets sort of overly complicated. And obviously we'll talk about that more in depth. And yeah, it's, this movie is two hours and 45 minutes, which wasn't something that I remembered about it. When I sat down to oh, watch it, I remembered <laughs> when I sat down to watch it, I was like, Oh no, like, this movie's two hours and 45 minutes. Like where did my day go? Exactly. And, uh, so it is kind of a grind to watch. And I don't know if that was necessarily uh, needed, uh, but Let's get into it. Let's get into our overall section. Joey, take it away. Okay, so I want to talk about something else at the very beginning of this. So there's this book series that I'm reading right now uh, called Magic 2.0. The very first book in the series is called um, uh, Off to Be the Wizard. And I don't really want to talk about the plot too much because it's not really the point. In the, in the uh, story, though, there's two characters, Philip and Jimmy. And Philip is kind of a protagonist and Jimmy is kind of an antagonist. Um, and Philip hates Jimmy. Um, and one of the things that he hates the most about him is that he's frustrating to hate because Jimmy actually turns out to be kind of a decent person. He's like a, even though he's kind of the antagonist, he's like kind of altruistic and um, very thoughtful and like very polite and everything. And Philip hates this about him because he just wants to outright hate him. If he was like evil or bad or something, that would be easy to convince everyone that, you know, Jimmy is, can't be trusted or that, they can't, you know, they can't uh, deal with Jimmy or they shouldn't deal with Jimmy. Um, but Philip is always on this, like, quest to uh, discredit Jimmy, to make him feel bad, to humiliate him in any way he can. And, you know, you're kind of rooting for Philip this whole, this whole story throughout the, all the books. But really, he, uh, it, it's this kind of dichotomy that they have because Jimmy doesn't, like, tries to redeem himself, but Philip constantly hates him and part of the reason he hates him is because he's always trying to redeem himself the whole reason for i'm trying to tell you this is because this is how i feel about this movie i've seen this movie so many times i think i've seen this movie 10 times i've seen this movie th uh, at least three more like three times as many times as i've seen the dark knight and i hate it i hate this movie and i and it's because there's so much of it that's almost good so much of the stuff that's like that's works that's good that is uh redeemable about it and yet i just can't i just want to hate it and so I'm like returning to this, this idea in this book, right, that if there's like, just because something is not um, wholly bad, even though there, are, there can be good parts about it, that doesn't mean that I have to like it. And that's how I feel about this. I feel like I cannot, there's nothing it can do to, to redeem itself. There's so much of it that's deep, so much of it that is done well, but there's just little things that just bug you and just get under your skin. And I just hate it. Every time I watch it, like, I, I was so dreading watching it this weekend. Like, I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait to get this over with. This is going to be two hours and 45 minutes of my time that I'm never going to get back. Three hours, really, because I'm pausing it to write down a lot of the dialogue. So, oh, my gosh. There's so much of this movie that's, like, almost good. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I, honestly, I was surprised at how good it was. Last time I watched this movie, I did not notice. I, I, the first time I watched this movie years ago i thought it was way too long and way too boring like and and this time especially having watched the other dark knight movies i picked up on a lot more of what they were going for i was like okay it wasn't just pointless dialogue they're referencing something from the first movie you know yeah 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 um, like oh the the Qui that's not the force ghost of qui-gon that's Razo cool <laughs> like <laughs> so i i felt like that consistently made a little bit more sense and if you were really invested in this trilogy there's a lot in this movie for you 
I think I, it's been a really long time since I've seen The Dark Knight. And anyway, we just watched The Bat- Batman Begins last year, but even that is a little hazy. So I bet you if I watched all of them in succession, I would probably get a lot more out of it. But I just can't bring myself to do it anymore. I am so done with this movie. <laughs> like ignoring all of the plot holes and the little like, why didn't they just do this moments? The movie is long. It's drawn out. It has all this feeling of self-importance that I just don't buy anymore. I find it frustrating because like there's so much of it that does that's done well done like all of the stunts like that plane heist at the very beginning is so cool you know having them pull the thing up and the and the wings fly off and you know because it's Christopher Nolan a lot of that is practical so a lot of that is like really done and it's going to hold up for years to come it's not going to be full CGI little things you know and then there's that, that whole truck scene at the end when Batman's flying through the city with the big old helicopter thing and the and he gets the uh, homing missiles to hit the the truck and then they crash the truck over that little inner pass thing and then Ma dies in the like the worst death scene of all any movie I've ever seen <laughs> like that whole chase scene is so cool and it's so nice and it's like really well orchestrated you can tell what's going on you can tell what they're trying to do it just makes sense um, and it's just some beautiful action all the Batman stuff like when he first appears again in the city when he's like turns off the lights and he's going around with his uh his motorcycle oh awesome. and, the, and the cops have the little exchange like the the grizzled veteran is, yeah, yeah. is like oh you're in for it tonight rookie <laughs> yeah that was great all that stuff it's freaking sweet and of course Bane like Bane watching this movie again to, like um you know yesterday uh Bane really carries this movie um on his very broad shoulders I mean he is just he is awesome and like acting through that mask he just such a such a good job and the voice is so iconic i love the voice uh i love doing the bane voice so you have come to die with your city (laughs) (laughs) he just looks cool he acts cool and he's like a little bit more a little smarter and a little more complex than it first seems which is really nice you know i always felt like batman's villains were some of the strongest parts of batman and this movie is no exception to that Christian Bale, one of my favorite actors, he's fantastic in this. Um, so is Michael Caine and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and Anne Hathaway even has a few moments that I enjoy, even though I also don't like her very much as an actress either. I think she's a little, um, I think she hams it up a little bit. I thought she did good in this one. I, I, I feel the same way about Anne Hathaway, but I, I thought she was just fine in this one. Um, Marianne Cotillard, uh, the, uh, the uh, woman who plays um, Marianne, is that her name? No, that's, that's the actor's name. Miranda. Um, Miranda, that's right. Sorry, the M's get me confused. Uh, she, I feel like she leaves a lot to, to be desired, especially that one death scene. Like, what the heck? Oh my god! Well, okay, she's I, like laying in the car, whatever. She's like, I know, I'm dying, and she goes, <laughs> she's like literally makes a noise and like moves her head to the side. It's so ridiculous. Okay, but to be fair, at least that car wreck actually did damage her. You could easily have had like a similar thing where you know a car wrecks. Like, okay, I'll give you an example. Freaking Gordon in the back, he should be just as crumpled oh up God, and dead. Yeah. Okay. But that thing is like d- somehow didn't crush him. <laughs> so he's like, back there like roaming around, you know, being thrown around like a d- rag doll in the back. Maybe she shouldn't have had an opportunity to say anything. Maybe she should have just been crumpled up and dead. But the crumpled up part made sense. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know what? I'll give that to you. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think the plot really, like, fits together that well. I, okay. I don't, I don't actually know how many times I've watched this movie. I say it's been 10 times. I'm probably, it's probably like nine or 10 times. This is the first time that I really understood what Bane and Miranda's plan was. Like it's like it never really clicked in my head. I was like, okay, now they're at the stock exchange and they are doing something and then they have to run away. And now Bruce Wayne doesn't have any money. Like none of that seemed to connect with me. 
And then finally, like, this time I was like, oh, now I understand. Maybe it was because I was watching it with the subtitles and I was like actually paying attention to the dialogue. Because that's another thing Christian or Christopher Nolan does a lot is uh, he obscures his dialogue with like the background noise, which is kind of a stylistic choice. I don't really know exactly why he does that. But um, watching with the with the subtitles definitely improved my experience watching this movie. Um, definitely made me appreciate it a little bit more. Can you imagine reading a book where some of the like dialogue is obscured, where you <laughs> actually <laughs> blurry or something? Actually, I have a great example of that. Have you ever ever read House of Leaves? I have not. It's a very experimental novel. It's like it's got like three or four different narrators and it's all written in different fonts and some of the stuff is written in reverse and like stuff is like the, some of the footnotes last for pages. It's a very strange like formatted novel uh, to go along with the theme of the movie or the, or the main uh, like uh, I guess theme or motif of the book which is like this house that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's, it's very interesting. So yeah, I actually have read a book that has okay. some, of the, some of the words obscured and it is very weird. Well, that's that's very much a Christopher Nolan thing. A great example of it is Dunkirk. We've talked about this before on the podcast where you can't hear dialogue that well when there's bombs falling out of the sky. So that makes sense. Even the prestige has yeah. its own dialogue difficulties, which again, yeah, stylistic choice, but for me it just means, you know, turn those subtitles on. Yeah, same with Interstellar. It's the same, same exact thing. Um, okay, the, then there's this whole thing with like, so after, I want to kind of go through the plot here a little bit. Like, okay. first they, first Bane gets uh, Bruce's fingerprints, which he uses to verify a transaction on the futures market in order for Bruce to lose all of his money so that some other guy can take over Wayne Enterprises. But when he does that, he knows that Bruce is going to hand over control to Miranda Tate, who is really the person that's behind everything. Right. Right. So the other guy was more of like a red herring. In, yeah, in a way. and then he gets killed by Bruce. Ben right. Mi ben Mendelsohn. So that's like a, the first twist, I guess, is you're like, oh, I thought yeah, he but was I the bad guy. That, I was too dumb to get it. <laughs> Not paying close enough attention well, to understand what that twist was. Yeah, there's a few assumptions that they make there uh, that I don't think everyone knows. Is First off, that you need fingerprints to trade on the stock exchange. Didn't know that. Didn't, Didn't know, that. know that at all. Didn't even know. I can't even verify that. Um, also, that you even understand how the futures market works and that you can possibly bankrupt yourself with just some bad trades that i mean it's a pretty big jump there uh, yeah yeah what if it like what if it yeah that's a really good point like what if it had gone the other way you know like what if the the futures market hadn't crashed that day instead of something else had happened right like and then like then he would have made more money or well like, not I, I lost all of his money I think part of the way that they justify that is they begin the stock market scene with the guy getting a shoe shined who is like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, I like, oh, you know, the stocks are going crazy just because Bruce Wayne was seen at a party, you know? So uh, there's like some volatility to the market there. But again, it's like big assumption here is that they're going to be able to predict the market in a way that makes him lose money. Uh, and like, wouldn't this be national news that some, some dude, some armed robbers came in and messed with the stock exchange, right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't all like the transactions for that day just be shut down or frozen? Anyway, I don't want to get into the plot holes. There's a lot of plot holes. Don't want to talk about them. Well, I think, again, and I think the reason why they include this, though, is because of the whole uh, the the commentary on rich versus poor that yeah, goes on yeah. in this movie. And including the stock market in that, I think, does fit the theme. But the actual execution, if you think about it too long, I think you start, it's shaky ground. 
I completely agree. And that's like, that's another thing is like having Bruce lose all of his money is like having him move from one area of the aristocracy to the other is um, uh, an important theme in this movie too. Um, then there's like this whole thing with like the trigger man, right? There's like, oh, uh, Bruce, like uh, Bane's like, there's one person in the city with the trigger and he's going to blow up the whole city if you guys do anything that I don't like. And it's just like, okay. I was like, that's an interesting twist to this little, like, hostage exchange. Sure. You know, like, uh, what's going to happen with this? The, oh, yeah, nothing. Nothing happens with this. Like, this, they, they mention it, Gordon mentions a few times that, like, oh, that, like, you know, he's right, obviously. Like, Bane is holding the trigger. You know, he would never give it to a, actual, a real citizen. Um, but everyone else is just like, uh, like, I guess we can't find out who this is because there's too many people to search or, like, I guess, like, we're never going to know what's going on with this or like, it's never like brought up, you know, it's not, there's never like a scene where like you see the public like lynching someone because they think they're the, uh, the tricker guy, you know, like, I don't know. I, I didn't see any like chaos from that. Yeah. Well, the, the, the reveal for that is definitely underwhelming because Miranda reveals he's like, actually I've been behind this. I'm in charge of Bane. This is all my plan. I'm Ra's al Ghul's daughter. Sure. And you're like, Oh my God. And she goes, I, I may not be ordinary, but I am a citizen. It's like, okay, your citizenship was never that important. Like, what, what what's the <laughs> message that you're sending here by saying, as a citizen, I'm entitled to hold the trigger? You helped plant the bomb. Like, that's not... <laughs> That's not that big of that's not that good of a reveal. Like it almost undermines the Miranda reveal to be like, oh, and by the way, I have the trigger. It's like, okay, obviously you do. You know, if you didn't have it, Bane had it. We yeah, all yeah, assumed yeah. this. Exactly. Uh, uh, that's dumb. I mean, I I wish they had been like the whole point of this trigger thing was to create like unrest and like like undermine the trust that the city that the civilians had with each other. But like that doesn't. That never comes to play. Like, that never happens. So, I don't know. It was, a, it was kind of a pointless thing. Well, yeah, I, I think that just having the bomb, like having a timed bomb and having, you know, Bane in charge with the yeah. trigger. He's like, okay, if you don't do what I say, I'm blowing this up. Otherwise, we'll all explode in the future. Right. Nobody knows that. But what's he's the, like, what's the difference between Bane holding the trigger and this civ civilian holding the trigger, right? Obviously, he's working for Bane, you know? Well, and also, it's a movie, so you know they're not going to just, you know, so it's not going to be given to some teenager who just does it to be edgy, you know, they're, they're going to, it's not going to explode out of nowhere. You're going to know about it when it explodes. So, Can you imagine? You're like, oh man, I dare you to press the trigger. I'll like, do it. Hey, I'll do it. I'll I'm, do it. I'm four monsters in right I'm now, bro. I'm capable right now, of anything. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but I don't think it really needed. I like, honestly, w the way I perceived it was like, okay, it doesn't matter. It, it's, it doesn't. It, it's not going to be set off by some random citizen, especially because we never really interact with individual citizens in that way. It's always the main characters doing all the action. Well, speaking of characters that don't matter, there's like there, when I see that con the congressman and that police officer Foley together, I was like, those guys are the same person, right? Like. It looks so similar. <laughs> they do look similar. But wait, wait. I, I liked Foley. I thought they actually, uh, I thought he had a decent yeah, arc. I just didn't care at all about him. They they definitely made him like look like such a like idiot and such a such, so, such a coward. Yes. <laughs> but he gets his redemption By at the end where he in dies the in the line of battle. Which also, that whole scene, it's kind of brutal to have all the cops go up against uh, Bane's dudes. You know, people are dying left and right there. That's, that is war. Yeah, but there's no, uh, which, there's no blood, so... 
It seemed a little dark for this movie. I know it's the Dark Knight Rises. Obviously, there's darkness in this film, but it did. It was like, wow, people are straight up massacring each other in the streets. Yeah, but there's not, but that there's no visceralness to that. Like it just feels like you know, like a uh, two faceless armies facing off each other. You know, there's not you you see Foley right, and then you see him die, kind of. I mean, it's not like a you don't even see him die necessarily. You just see him. He's standing and then he's laying on the ground, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> he gets. T- yeah. What if that's just him being a coward playing dead? Yeah. Playing possum. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's definitely implied that he gets gunned down yeah, by yeah, Miranda's yeah. driver. So, um, I don't know fully. I agree. We could probably have done without Foley. I think he was kind of in this film to show us an example of like what the normal cops are as opposed to he the just heroics can- of Gordon he just or cannon fodder. Honestly, well, I mean, because you got to compare his actions to the actions of uh, Gordon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt of uh, sure. of Officer Blake, Detective yeah. Blake, because they go beyond the law, right? They do more than what their orders are to save the city, and they end up playing an integral role versus Foley, who is by the book, uh, you know, looking out for numero uno, having his wife answer the door <laughs> come on like that's just and, and again i'm not saying women can't answer the door or be tough or whatever maybe foley's wife is like very macho and she protects her man i'm totally for that you know that's fine but the way they frame it in this film they're like foley you having your weak wife answer the door and he's like oh you caught me like i'm definitely a coward <laughs> yes like if you had been some thug, I would have let the thug kill her, and I would have escaped. You know, like I'm fully, yeah, yeah, I'm such yeah. a chicken. Like, <laughs> and uh, but he does get his redemption in the end, so at least it's worth our time to to look at him. Okay, I'll you know, fight I, for Foley, dude. Uh, okay. That's fine. You can fight for Foley, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll die in the street just like him. <laughs> okay, there's one other thing that I really want to talk about, which is the action, and I really want to get your opinion on this. So, like the action in this movie, especially the fight between the fights between. Bane and uh, Batman are very weird. Like they feel like heavy, like they're holding weights or something. And like all their movements are like very not. I don't not want to say exaggerated, but like they feel slow almost. It's like it's really weird. And I realize it's kind of an like a stylistic choice, but I feel like I've never seen this in any other action movie where like their movements aren't nearly as fluid. Yeah, it definitely did seem a little bit scripted when they were fighting each other. Like, you could tell it was planned out. But I prefer this to, like, really successive jump cuts where you can't even see the action at all. I would rather it seems clunky but have them actually do it than to not be able to see anything at all and just implied action, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I agree. I, I, I know what you're talking about as far as it seeming slow motion almost, uh, even though it's normal, it's regular motion. But it works between Bane and Batman, in my opinion. Uh, it, well, where... it, it definitely portrays their power. Like yes. you definitely feel how strong both of them are, which is kind of which is interesting. I don't know. It's like a very strange, like looking at it. It's like, I, like I feel like if I saw it more, I would be more used to it. But like in this context and stuff, in this movie, it just like it doesn't feel right. Something about it just feels wrong, and I can't like quite put my finger on it. Well, I'll tell you when it does feel wrong is when it's Batman fighting normies instead of fighting another superhero, because then it doesn't make sense why this horde of dudes is moving so slowly. There's that scene near the end where Batman returns and talks to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt basically sits there and watches as Batman beats up like nine dudes. All nine of these dudes have guns. And while there are like one or two pop shots that go off, you get the feeling throughout this movie that even the henchmen feel that they are expendable. So I don't think it would be too much of a jump (laughs) to have a guy be like, oh, there's Batman and he's 10 feet away. I might as well shoot at him, even if I might hit some of my buddies, because we're all going to die anyways. We, we know this. So why wouldn't I shoot? So it just seems weird that they're kind of waiting their turn. Like, all right, I'm going to try to get a punch in on Batman so that I don't hurt any of my friends. When really, that's suicide. You're fighting Batman. And it does happen in what feels like kind of slow motion. So you end up, it just feels weird. And it feels weird yeah. that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's watching, too. <laughs> yes. I, maybe that is it. Maybe it's just a just, like the juxtaposition of those two things. Some of the coolest action or some of the coolest like fighting is when uh, Bane starts to move quickly. When he uh, when he does that spin move and like punches down Batman in the sewers. Oh man, that's uh. awesome. And of course, like when he breaks his back and everything, you can just feel the power behind his moves. Or like when he's punching that column and he's just like destroying it, and you can like you can tell that he's like moving like at superhuman speed. Yes. Oh man. That that stuff is like uh, that was really cool. That that's like paying close attention to that, that's the details that I, I really liked. Yeah, Bane, absolutely flawless. Tom Hardy, so good. Yeah. Well, tell us about Bane. Okay, well, I, I honestly, you, you kind of mentioned it before, but I, I feel like Batman is just about as... Like, obviously, he's a really good superhero, and everybody loves Batman, but he also has the advantage of being complimented by some of these amazing adversaries, especially in the Nolan trilogy. I would say, obviously, the Joker's number one, but then I would put Bane, like, close behind that like it's such a tough act to follow to be the third movie after the second movie is so transcendent it's because of the villain i think bane definitely pulls his weight or even more than his weight uh being playing this role i mean his opening scene with the planes that's so iconic watching it now after having spent years of seeing like references to it on the internet i was laughing out loud like i still don't understand why uh Littlefinger, the guy who's on the plane with him, uh, he plays oh, yeah, Littlefinger yeah. in Game of Thrones. He goes like, "You're a big guy." He's like, "For you, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Excuse me, what?" That's not what he says, is it? Yes, he does. He says, "You're uh, a big oh, guy." Oh no, I can explain exactly what this is. He says, he's, "The Littlefinger says, um, uh, would it hurt to take off the mask or whatever?'" And then Bane says, "It would be extremely painful." And then right. he says, "You're a big guy." And then he says, "For you, extremely." extremely painful for you is what he's saying it's the same joke as when uh, uh oh. Anne hathaway is has her heels on and and he says is it hurt to walk in those heels and she says i don't know you tell me and then she stabs him with the heel okay. same joke well referenced there okay and, and i'm glad you explained that to me because i was like why are you saying i'm a big guy for you <laughs> <laughs> i always thought that was a good line it is, i like that line now okay now i like it well no and that's the thing that his whole opening cinematic is amazing the confidence he brings to it and then obviously the uh, like what they do to that plane just sticks in your mind and it gives bane such a great foundation to build on for the rest of this movie as just legendary like not only cunning but also like witty and tough bad guy i mean like the mid-air blood transfusion like well like everyone's playing checkers and freaking bane is playing (laughs) nine-dimensional chess like he's just it's great. It, <laughs> that's so funny. Oh it, my gosh. Yeah, and, and I was paying close attention. That 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 cadaver does look a lot like what's his name? Pavel or whatever. Yes. Uh which like another thing I want to bring up that I that I hate is <laughs> when uh, Miranda uh is talking to Bruce later and she's like, Would it give you any comfort to know that what's his name died in a plane crash six months ago? It's like, No, why would that <laughs> 
why would that give me comfort? I don't understand. It's, it's, that's just another Christopher Nolan moment where they're like giving you more plot information. You know, it's like, hey, remember that this important doctor died? Because the doctor just yeah, yeah. feel for me felt a little bit shoehorned in where I was like, I'm supposed to care about this one guy, like the one guy in the world who can do this. Are we sure? Is no one else? Yeah. You know, yeah, it, no one else has read the paper. What is he, How good of a scientist is he? If yeah. He can't document his like this procedure. <laughs> Right, exactly. So. This procedure, which literally takes five seconds. I wonder if he's like, right? A- he pulls the thing, they pull the cords out, and he's like, "All right, now it's a bomb." I'm like, let me push a couple of buttons. I know, and this also thing that was a, a a fusion reactor is now a bomb. He was such a puppet in there. He was putty in their hands, where they yeah. were like, "All right, uh, now tell this studio, or no, tell this football stadium full of people what you, the bomb does." He's like, "All right, I've prepared a statement on that," and he goes ahead and tells them, and then he dies. Like he was so obviously going to get killed by these brutes. Why not just die instead of dying after? dooming them all right i don't know maybe he's not that brave but um anyways anyways let me get back to bane here um a a bunch of the stuff that he says about this movie they're big memes now which i think just goes on to establish what how much of a legend bane is i mean the joker became a big meme now you know the whole get a load of this society meme uh is (laughs) is pretty good too um so which i know is a friend's thing anyways me the, the I think that memes are a good way to measure how societally impactful your character is. And I think Bane has definitely left a big time impact. Uh, He also like he mixes brute strength with brains, which is a good is a step forward for Bane as far as the cinematic Batman uh, portrayals of Bane go, because he was awful in uh, uh, Batman and Robin, which so much was awful in that movie. But they really did my man Bane dirty in that film because he was just a a mindless puppet. He just went around doing whatever anyone told him to do, even though he was super powerful. And if he had any autonomy at all, could have been a really amazing villain in his own right. Uh, It was really missed opportunity. So it's nice to see him come back and be the complete Bane because Bane isn't an idiot. He's known, like if you look him up, on his Wikipedia, they talk about how he's he's known for out outsmarting and out like brute strengthening or just you know overpowering the Batman. It's like he's legendary for that because Batman's supposed to be the smartest detective ever, and for Bane to be able to outsmart him, that's supposed to be a big thing as as well as being stronger than him. Um, he he is actually known. One of Bane's like things is he broke the bat, uh, right? Which works in so many ways. He broke the bat. He broke the bat's back, and he broke the bat's bat like you're breaking a baseball bat like over his knee. He did it all. <laughs> and, and that's amazing, too. He, you see that here, but there's also amazing artist renditions of Bane breaking the bat. It's it's like one of his main things that he did, uh, and we, and it's, it's super cool to see that included here. His voice. Okay, we haven't even said anything really specific about his voice, but his voice is amazing. His voice. Yeah, his voice is so silly, dude. His voice is ridiculously silly, but through the performance, the entire picture put together, it just adds another layer of uniqueness on top of Bane. Oh, yeah. Because even though you can laugh at the, like, for you, I'm a big boy for you, the kind of thing, (laughs) really, I think it works. And you can stare at it long enough where it becomes absurd, but I I think that it was good that they didn't try to give him, like, a Darth Vader voice or, you know, just Tom Hardy's voice unfiltered. Like, it was good that they went that extra mile and and it works and it just helps to complete this picture of how awesome Bane is. My my only complaint with Bane is having him be just kind of in the end revealed as Miranda's kind of like just 
dog like he, he's just under her control definitely reduces some of that batman versus uh, batman and robin obviously it, they are though and <laughs> even though he obviously does a lot more stuff it seems like he is in charge of a lot more stuff to to say that he's just miranda's war dog it does kind of diminish his role for me but he shows that he doesn't do everything she says because he goes like we both know i have to kill you now so he wasn't gonna let batman feel the fl- the flames he was gonna you do it himself. imagine the fire yeah yeah <laughs> which is so good uh everything that comes out of his mouth is amazing <laughs> but then he just t- totally blasted by uh by catwoman in the most anticlimactic like villain death yes and i was a little disappointed by that i think it does a lot for catwoman though it was it was a good reveal that she did come back although it was in my opinion super obvious i don't know it was it was a uh i've seen this movie before moment where i was like yeah, yeah. obviously she's not gonna escape she's gonna come back and save batman which is good i, I think it helps to justify her inclusion in this film and, and complete her arc but uh it, it it does suck to have my man bane go out without a legendary exit um so but overall i give bane like a, a an amazing uh review I, he's he's great i i loved everything i saw from him and i think his presence justifies seeing this film like it, it'll it pushes it if you if you like batman you haven't seen this one but you've heard it's not as good as the dark knight relax you get to experience Bane. I would say give it a try. Um, <laughs> uh, another thing, uh, another character in this film that I, I, I felt played an important role was Officer Blake, also later revealed to be Robin. Uh, first off, he's way less cringy than previous iterations of Robin. And, and I'm, I, I, again, I'm mainly talking about Batman and Robin here, but even the Robin that we got to see in Lego Batman definitely played a different role. He was supposed to be a surrogate son in that movie, but he's he doesn't do any of the theatrics that you associate with Robin. He's not a gymnast. He's not flipping around and wearing tiny shorts. He's a police officer. But what makes him Robin is that he goes beyond the law. That it separates him from a normal police officer because he's kind of a hothead, but really he's just all about justice. And and he wants to see justice uh, served no matter what, no no matter what the regulations say uh, or what his his role extends to being. Uh, Plus, he's an orphan, which I think if you know anything about Robin, it's very obvious that he's robin from the beginning when he talks about being an orphan uh because that's like his that's why he looks up to bruce wayne in that way and uh that that having seen all these batman movies we know that to be true uh but really what he serves and i think his most valuable inclusion in this movie is being a the next step for batman when batman retires when batman leaves and batman needed to retire dude you see those knees <laughs> you see the doctor get him with that hilarious uh joke about his health he's like i've seen worse cartilage meaning other people who actually have cartilage you idiot I, <laughs> you your, your knees are totally shot bruce wayne <laughs> like, okay yeah. nice burn that's doctor. A, that's a, yeah great um bedside manner there right and you maybe go work for that hospital in arrested development right maybe i don't know he also has his opinions about the rich that doctor but he's a doctor he's one of the rich anyways anyways batman needed to retire and we needed a way to leave gotham in the hands of someone who can who's capable of doing it but we needed to avoid the temptation of having a spin-off series from a ridiculously successful trilogy so i think got i think robin kind of toes the line of being mm-hmm. compelling enough to replace Batman, but not compelling enough to justify us actually caring about him beyond this movie. And I think he does that perfectly. So we can rest assured knowing that Bruce Wayne's work in Gotham is done. Um, 
and it's in good hands, but we don't need to keep seeing it. Robin can go be Robin, and, and we can just imagine what he becomes. So I, I think they did that well. And honestly, the, the the end of this movie for me was really satisfying. Not only do we get to see what happens to Robin, but we see that Gordon, his problem, his main problem throughout this movie, his personal problem, I guess, was his internal feelings about Harvey Dent and how he hated using this evil man as the symbol for justice in Gotham. I mean, who's done more for justice in Gotham besides uh, Commissioner Gordon? Maybe Batman, basically. But he's he's worked so hard to protect these people and to try to make this a better place to live and to have to hold up Harvey Dent as the hero after all the things he did and vilify Batman, by the way was obviously so hard for Gordon and it was nice for him to finally get to see the bat used as the symbol for justice at the end. That was a great conclusion to his arc. We also get to see Fox. I don't know. Fox, it's not really a conclusion to him, but Fox at least gets information that lets him know that Bruce is alive when they tell him about the autopilot patch, uh, which was nice. And this all happens in sequence. So it's a lot of, uh, good moments happening back to back to back. I mean, there's a lot of endings to this movie. Right. And, and Alfred finally sees, and this is like the the iconic scene kind of like Alfred finally gets to see Bruce with Catwoman in Florence. And he knows, all right, you're on to your new life and I'll, and that's it. He doesn't even have to say anything to him. He just goes, all right, now I can be happy, satisfied that Bruce gets to have a life after all he's done for the city of Gotham. Yeah. And after, after I abandoned him, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't really know how I felt about Alfred abandoning. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. The pro- okay, the problem is like obviously Bruce is in the wrong. Alfred has has a really good point. You know, the city doesn't need Batman. The city needs Bruce Wayne, his resources, his knowledge. That's what he says. And so Alfred says to prove this point, I will leave you the only I, the only voice of reason in your life, the only person who you talk to at all. I'm going to leave you and let you wallow in your own bad opinions that I know you already have. Like, <laughs> well, okay. So one of the things I, I don't understand, and this just shows like that Bruce, it, it, it was like a moment of uh, bad logic from Bruce was when Alfred revealed that what's her name from the second movie chose yeah. Harvey Dent instead of him. Rachel chose Harvey Dent instead of Bruce Wayne. He's like, I don't believe you. Why would Alfred lie about that? Alfred has always got your back, dude. I, I don't. I that's, don't. That scene is very confusing. Like, I was trying to pay attention closely to the dialogue. I don't know if he does. He say he doesn't believe him, or is he? Just, he just says like, "You're out of here." Like, I can't believe you lied to me. I, I think he. I don't know. I think he does believe him, but it's not. It's no. Not he basically. Clear at all. He's basically like uh, offended. He's like, "How dare you use her against me?" Or something like that. Where he's like, "How dare you right. twist the knife on my failed relationship?" Uh, and, and instead of. I guess obviously that's a heavy one to drop because now he looks like an idiot. He's been brooding for years over this woman who didn't even yes. like wasn't even in love with him. He's, <laughs> he is an idiot. Uh, but um, also, I there was this something I didn't notice before. But every character that knows Bruce Wayne wants him to have a girlfriend. All of them, like yeah. esp- especially Alfred and Fox, they're always like, "Oh, I like your girlfriend." Oh, oh, she's into picking locks. You should date her. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to set him up. Well, they know how like what a low place he is in. Yeah, it's just like, and I mean, I guess that works because he ends up with her in the end. Um, but it was something I didn't notice before. They they really they're always looking out for their boy, trying to get him in a relationship. They just want to see their man happy. Yeah. Huh, okay, uh, let's go to our cool Easter eggs, and okay. I believe you have the first one, right? Uh, this is a really short one. 
He chased the gunman down into the sewers. I pulled him out. He was babbling about an underground army, a masked man called Bane. Why shouldn't you be telling your superior officers about this? They asked me if he saw any giant alligators. He needs you. Um, this this is uh, I think clearly a reference to Killer Croc, one of uh, another one of Bill uh, uh, Batman's villains, classic villains, um, who also lived in the sewers. Um, and may or may not have teamed up with Bane in previous movies. Who knows? Previous iterations. So yeah, no, good, uh, solid reference, and especially for I, I, there's like this idea that I, I like to think about with comic book fans getting to see their favorite characters shown or even referenced on the big screen. Uh, in our Avengers Infinity War episode, we were talking to Cooch Boy about uh, Thanos and how it's so cool that everyone knows who Thanos is now. And I mean, I think there's a similar level of that with Bane in this one because I think a lot more people know who Bane is uh, than used to before this movie, sure. even though he had already been in Batman movies. Um, so this is, I think, just like a lower degree of that. It's like, hey, remember Killer Croc? If you remember Killer Croc, this is a very obvious he's a reference. He's a joke. Right. <laughs> he's a joke. <laughs> but he's obviously a, an important uh, Batman yeah, adversary. Yeah. And here's a little mention for him to show, to pay some respect. Uh, because Killer Croc, in uh, again, I, I've mostly experienced Batman through the movies, but I understand that he's pretty important in the Batman lore in the comics. So... Anyways, I've got a couple of cool Easter eggs to the football scene. Of course, I'm going to talk about the sports scene because I love sports. And there's a the Gotham. I forgot what is their name. They're they're playing against Rapid City. That was the name of the other team. But they they're black and yellow, which is their team colors, which is the same team colors as the Steelers. And they actually got some Steelers to be in this movie the Gotham as a Knights by the way the Gotham Knights okay wow that makes perfect sense <laughs> anyways um on the sidelines during the national anthem they scroll across a bunch of football players there's actually a handful of Steelers in this movie but the most notable ones are Ben Roethlisberger who's the quarterback of the Steelers Super Bowl champion a lot of people know who he is he's in there and also Heinz Ward also Super Bowl champion and uh, Hall of Famer in here and Heinz Ward is actually the guy who runs the football across the field as it's falling apart uh, yeah. so like a pretty huge cameo for him and both of these guys are legends you can have your opinions about Ben Roethlisberger's personal life but as far as their football accomplishments both of these guys are legends and it's cool to see them included in this movie uh, where they get to wear their actual team colors as well hmm. another one I have to bring this up because I always bring it up when we talk about Batman is Grappling hook physics, okay? Grappling hooks! <laughs> Batman's <laughs> primary superpower Gra is his ability yes, yes, to right. use grappling hooks, and this movie doesn't leave that out completely because he has to try to climb out of that prison, and he falls multiple times from a ridiculous height, and the rope catches him. But here's the thing I learned in my rock climbing class. You don't have to fall very far for a rope catching you to absolutely kill you. And I think the first fall, especially, where he you really see him descend, definitely breaks his spine beyond repair, and Bruce Wayne dies in that jail. So if this movie had the realistic uh, you know, physics of what happens when you fall, I think Bruce Wayne's dead. Uh, and I just have to bring that up because i bring it up every time because batman has no respect for grappling hook physics and this movie is no exception good I'm, I'm glad i'm glad we're consistent with that yes even though there were no grappling hooks in this one i don't think um, i didn't see any yeah it's, this was as close as we got but of course they had to include it so they have it there you go okay 
Uh, Want to move on to our quotes? Let's do some quotes. It's a brazen costume for a cat burglar. Yeah? Who are you pretending to be? Bruce Wayne, eccentric billionaire. This is when uh, Anne Hathaway is talking to Bruce Wayne in the, uh, in the gala, I guess. Miranda Tate's gala. Um, and uh, she asks him who's pretending to be. And of course, this, the classic Batman thing is that Batman is really the man and Bruce Wayne is just the mask. So who are you pretending to be? Of course, he's pretending to be Bruce Wayne, um, just as he always pret- does when he's out in public, uh, because he's really Batman. Solid example. Yeah, solid example. Uh, next one. You think all this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches, because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. <laughs> um, this is uh, right after that last scene. Um, they're, talk- they're having this conversation about you know, Anne Hathaway and her character and who she is and all this stuff. Um, and of course she's referencing here QAnon, uh, who's referencing the storm coming, uh, you know, that whole reference. Never mind. You don't know what QAnon? No. That's a whole conspiracy theory involving like um Pizzagate and all that stuff. So it's on 4chan. I think I've heard of QAnon, but I I don't The whole thing is like they're they talk about the storms coming, how there's a storm coming. I always reference that. It's not important. Anyway, I thought this was a this was an interesting quote because of the big theme in this movie, which is poor versus rich, and how this kind of comes to her uh, statement here is kind of pro- prophetic. Uh, it comes to fruition in a big way when uh, Bane takes over the city and everything kind of falls apart. And Anne Hathaway is kind of an anarchist. I think she has anarchist ideals, um, and this is another example of that. Yeah, and it, it just sets it up so well for what's going to happen later, this whole switching of the powers in gotham so um and and also she does a really good job of explaining who she is in that scene like you you really get to learn her how her mind works in that conversation with bruce wayne which i think was pretty masterful dialogue yeah i thought so too it's a it's it's a good example of dialogue in this movie all right i've got the next one it's a stock exchange there's no money you can steal really why are you people here this is I think like this line and in, in a couple other like this whole poor versus rich thing is why we have the stock market in here. And this line really brings it to a T where Bain is saying, hey, the stock market is a scam. Only mm. only people who can afford to partake in it benefit from it. And it kind of just makes money on the hard work of the actual workers. So yeah, this is, I think, another example, uh, a good example of this whole rich versus poor mentality that's going on through this movie. And also, it's funny. Like, it is pretty funny. Bane, Bane's witty. He's got jokes. He's got, he's got quips. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point. For there, when the structures fail you, when the robots aren't weapons anymore, they're shackles, letting the bad guy get ahead. One day, you may face such a moment of crisis, and in that moment, I hope you have a friend like I did. To plunge their hands into the filth so that you can keep yours clean. Uh, I really like this quote, but uh, it really, you can't understand it unless you actually read it. Like, it's really hard <laughs> to understand what he's talking about, especially because um, uh, Blake, right after this, only responds to the last part of Gordon's, like, sentence. He says, 
your hands look pretty filthy to me, Gordon or or commissioner or whatever his name is. Um, and so like it kind of undercuts this whole thing, but I really do like this, especially since it comes back in a big way from Blake. Um, like this whole idea that you were talking about earlier about how Gordon and Blake kind of bend the rules, right? They, they don't necessarily follow all the rules because they're really searching for justice. And sometimes the rules are a big, um, obstacle to come overcome. You see this a lot in like detective shows or or other like police movies and stuff of how the the lawmen have to break the law in order to really serve justice and they have to make that kind of decision. And whether they should do that or not is a big moral conundrum, especially in you know cop dramas and stuff about whether they should do this. And Gordon seems to be saying, "Oh yeah, you, you, this happens. Like you need to do this. You need to be able to make those hard choices between what is told to be right and what is actually right." And the big moment when this like comes back for Blake is when he's standing on the bridge trying to get everyone to cross, right? And he's talking to the uh, the other, I guess he's a military guy. He looks like a police officer. And he's like, we can't let you cross because they're going to blow up the city. And he's like, if you try and cross, we're going to, you know, we're going to destroy the bridge or whatever. And um, Blake's like, don't listen. To, like, your orders are out of date. You don't understand the real situation. You need to get these people across. So they're all going to die. And the guy's like, we're going to shoot you. You know, it's like, I have my orders. Blake is clearly up against a structure that is impairing the justice that needs to be that needs to be served, and it's very frustrating to watch. And it's also frustrating for him. So frustrating that he pulls a Johnny Utah and chucks his uh, the badge into the river. He does. That's very Johnny Utah of him. <laughs> and then at the end, he talks to, to Gordon. And he says this. You know, what you said about structures becoming shackles. You were right, and I can't take it. The injustice. So yeah, it kind of. Uh, I guess moves his arc toward that whole idea that he needs to become a vigilante of some sort. He needs to take the law into his own hands because only he really knows how the law should really work. He has the moral framework in order for that to work. Right. And, and I guess, you know, that's always a little bit shaky because you can also empathize with the police officers on the other side of the bridge where they were like, hey, um, the city will blow up if anyone crosses. So definitely don't yeah. let that happen. And they're like, OK, <laughs> that's pretty simple. Um, <laughs> you know, so I. It is. I can see it from his side, and it does set up his character arc really well. So, uh, but it is definitely kind of a paradox. Like, how do you win in that situation? But yeah, I do agree that hearing this out loud is definitely hard to understand. It's like there's a point where the structures fail you. So we have structures where the rules aren't weapons anymore. So the the rules are weapons, um, but there's structures also. But now they're shackles. <laughs> they're shackles. Right. But but it, what you have to do is to be able to deal with this is you have to be able to plunge your hands into filth. Like, <laughs> what is, there's a lot of mixed metaphors. Yeah. Here. So are you wearing the shackles while your hands are in the filth? What is the... And what's... <laughs> are you standing in a structure while you're doing yeah, it? Yeah. Are your weapons getting filthy too? Or are they just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, the structure's filthy. So um, I agree. But it, I, I'm glad... And how does your friend come into this yeah <laughs> does your phone get filthy when you're calling your friend <laughs> is the phone the weapon is it uh this is some sort of bdsm thing two <laughs> two cops one bucket of filth shackles i love the i love calling it a bucket of filth oh my god okay let's move on um <laughs> next quote yes we take Gotham from the corrupt! The rich! The oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity. And we give it back to you. The people. 
this is part of Bane's uh, big uh, like pitch, I guess, after he reads Gordon's letter out loud and he's like saying, oh, you know, there's, um, we're taking over the city and this is how everything's going to be from now on. And again, this plays into the big poor versus rich theme that goes on, which we'll talk about in, in more depth in a minute. But um, essentially, Bane is using a certain kind of ideology to motivate people toward his side when really he doesn't care at all about what these people really think. You know, he's saying he's using a myth in his own right. He's saying there's the, the corrupt and the rich, the oppressors of generations. These people are, you know, are your enemy. You need to be taking them down. You know, the, the 99% need to rise up against the 1%. But really, he's going to destroy everyone anyway. You know, he's, he's saying that he's giving people an opportunity. He's giving people the uh, ability to take back their lives. But really, he's just going to take that away from them, too. Well, yeah, and it's a little bit of like, uh, socialist tones in here from Bane. oh yeah because he's like to socialism and anarchism yeah. yeah look at how the how the capitalist winners have oppressed you by being mm. more rich than you so we have to take that down and here's your opportunity to do it there's obviously more people that don't have a lot of money compared to the people who do have a lot of money so this should be well received and uh, Bane knows it he knows his way to rile the people up I mean, it's hard to go from that to, we should give guns to the, the people in prison. Um, <laughs> but he somehow finds a way to justify it. He gets it. He gets it. He gets it done. You yourself fought the decadence of Gotham for years. With all your strength, all your resources, all your moral authority. And the only victory you could achieve was a lie. Now you understand. Gotham is beyond saving. No. And must be allowed to die. This is what Ra's al Ghul says to Bruce in his little dream sequence while he's trying to get his back back together. Um, I like this a lot because it actually aligns Bruce's ideals with Ra's al Ghul's and Bane's. They're all trying to achieve the same thing, which is the saving of Gotham. Uh, um, Ra's al Ghul thought he could save Gotham by burning it to the ground and rebuilding it, because that's how he's done it. The League of Shadows have done it for years in the past. Um, Bruce, Bane seems to be uh, after the same kind of goal, but really because it was Ra's al Ghul's goal, it was not really, it's more like fulfilling a uh, thing that was never done, right? More so than that, than like actually saving Gotham. He's just using the idea of saving Gotham to help uh, destroy the city, because uh, Ra's al Ghul is using uh, fear to destroy the city. And uh, Bane's plan is to use hope to destroy the city. So interesting parallel there. But again, like Bruce Wayne is uh, is fighting against the the you know organized crime. He's trying to take down everyone uh, that's you know destroying the city from the inside. Um, and part of that is the decadence. But of course, Bruce is part of that decadence as well. So he's fighting against his own like resources, his own um, like status in a way. It's interesting, but it, it is, I do like this because it kind of pushes Bane and Ra's al Ghul into that modern villain uh, category where their, their goals or their um, reasons for their goals or their actions are kind of justified and our hero actually agrees with them in some way, just not in the way that they go about it. Right, because you can definitely see how the only victory he could achieve being a lie, it's definitely wrong that Batman has done so much for Gotham and they universally see him as something bad, or at least sure. law enforcement does. And that's that's frustrating because he's done so much, especially because they also hold up the villain, Harvey Dent, as the good guy. So um, I think that definitely hits on a, on a, uh, a solid note there. But um, and, and it also is 
the theme of the whole thing. This kind of ties the whole trilogy together to have uh, Force Ghost Qui-Gon Jinn come back and say something that kind of helps us feel like this has really been a trilogy and not three standalone movies. Right. And I mean, this again ties together that whole idea of symbols too, right, that you see in the first movie where um, Bruce is, is trying to make Batman into a symbol, something that people will, the criminals will fear and that the people can trust. And then, of course, in the second movie, Harvey Dent becomes a symbol for goodness. And, but then you see in this movie how all those things crumble um, because those are all built on lies. Okay, I have our next quote. So you came back to die with your city. No, I came back to stop you. I love this quote. I love it. It's, it's, um, you're wrong. It's only possible. It's made possible by how amazing these two characters are where they can get away with saying almost anything. And it sounds cool because I think this, especially because they, they duke it out for the final battle right after this. I, it almost feels like I'm playing a, uh, a video game and I'm playing as Batman and I get to fight final boss Bane finally. And this is his <laughs> opening quote, you know, and you know, you're going to get a closing quote when you defeat him, but this is the opening one. And I love That's it. That's not realistic at all because <laughs> if there was a video game. You'd hear this quote eight times before you actually beat it. <laughs> you die and have to try again. <laughs> well, they keep playing that same cutscene over and over okay, again. But why, why do you, why am I wrong? Why do you disagree? You're wrong because this quote sucks. And like, <laughs> He said, he says, so you come back to die with your city, which is like a good setup for something. And then Batman responds with, no, I came to stop you. Like, you couldn't think of anything else to say? Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. There's another time where this happens. Yes. Captain America in Captain America. Um, The Red Skull. He's fighting the Red Skull. And he's like, you just don't know when to give up, do you? And Captain America is like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's like, yeah, it's like, I couldn't think of anything to say. Like, I can understand if this was like a candid moment, but this is a, this is a movie. Like, they have all this, you know, elevated dialogue and all they can come up with, no, I came to stop you. Come on. Like, the, Bat, Bane is trying to set up like an ideological fight here, you know, and Batman reduces it to, oh, I've come to stop you. You know, your, your symbolism of like, resistance or like pain or hope or despair or whatever you're trying to represent Bane is, is not important. You're just a man that I need to defeat. I need to walk through you and then blast you with my, my, uh, my, you know, uh, motorcycle guns like, I don't know. like <laughs> no you're right it, it is kind of a cringy line um i think part of the it's reason super why cringy I, and it takes me out of the movie every time i see it it's like every time it's just like so you come back to die with your city i'm like okay great we're, we're, we're on to a great track here and then he says no i've come to stop you and it's just like <laughs> baseball or like stop okay well i uh part of the reason why i like it so much is because of the cultural impact it had uh this this quote is definitely used frequently with me and my friends because this movie came back when i was still in high school so yeah Uh, It was definitely something that we used a lot. Uh, So I think that's partially why I'm so I like it so much. But at the same time, imagine if Batman tried to go into like a little uh, monologue about what he's here to do in the middle of the brawl. They they could have they could have made it something. They could have solidified it to one sentence. So you you came to die with your city. He's like, no, I came back to reestablish the as he gets punched. (laughs) (laughs) Or what if he said something like, no, I and then he like punches him and then he like continues and he's like, oh, and then like and I've come here to. 
like you're the oppressor or like yeah. you're not the uh you know you're saying you're the liberator but you're lying to the city like you say that your art my thing is built on lies but you're really building the lies like uh there's so much more here that's not said you know because <laughs> batman's like i can't talk too much i'm too tired from climbing out of that well in middle east He's like, like come on dude we're we're two hours and 15 minutes into this film like I, <laughs> yeah we can't, we can't be having a moral dilemma right now <laughs> <laughs> We're two hours and 15 minutes in. Let's just get this over with. <laughs> uh, so it's an important line. There's many important lines from Bane. I don't think anything that Bane says in this movie isn't important. I love everything that he says, and uh, it's all very quotable. Uh, so I, I thought we should bring that one up. And speaking of quotes, we, here's our final quote for this movie. I'm so sorry. I failed you. You trusted me. I failed you. Yes, you did, Alfred. <laughs> this is a big, important scene uh, because obviously nobody loves Batman like Alfred does. And I truly do mean love. And we've talked about this before, how Batman always has this kind of relationship between Bruce Wayne and Alfred where it's a true, like, two men that love each other, that care for each other wholly. And... Alfred is totally distraught here. I mean, even though Batman saved the day, he did die, which was Alfred's biggest fear. And they established that really well uh, throughout this movie, where Alfred, he's way less concerned with the well-being of the city of Gotham and way more concerned with the well-being of his the friend that he loves, uh, who seems determined to die defending the city. So to have this scene where Michael Caine gets to really show his acting chops and cry over the death of Bruce Wayne, I think is is really meaningful and touching. And it adds that much more value to Alfred discovering that Bruce actually isn't uh, is it dead. Th- does that though, doesn't that not undercut this whole thing? His, well, I guess if you want a happy ending, if you really, if you wanted to have like a, an edgy dark ending, then it would be nice to have Alfred crying over the grave at the end. But of course we have to all be happy at the end. So it plus Alfred set that reveal up really well too, earlier in the film where sure. he talks I mean, it about, is, it is a nice setup, but I don't him. know. I don't agree that like the only thing I can think of when he says this is like, yeah, you're right. You did fail. Like you should have stuck around. Why did you leave in the first place? I never really got a good understanding why you left in the first place. And like, why you didn't just leave and then come back as if like, you know, it was like, you know, giving someone the silent treatment. Like it's all for like a, it's all for like a, to, to prove a point. It's not actually, he's not actually leaving, but he actually did leave. He's like, ah, I'm going to go do something else. Like, what is he? I don't know. What kind of hobbies does Alfred have that's going to occupy his time while this, like while he's not there? Well, he could just that's not important. He could just get old and die. You know, like he could die knowing that he, you know, helped he Bruce Wayne. He served. He's buried so many Wayne family members. Maybe he can rest assured he knowing he didn't have to like, bury this one. By no, he didn't. And by leaving, he definitely like solidifies that be- that you know Batman or Bruce is going to do this, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I, I totally agree because part of the reason he left was to get the 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 idea across message. to Bruce, to get the message across that you don't need to do this anymore, Bruce Wayne. And even though well, but how does leaving do that? Like this is only like source of reason. 
he leaves, Batman ends up leaving though at the end of this conflict. There will definitely be more trouble in the future for Gotham. Nothing that happened in this movie says everything is fine forever now and and Batman can retire on his own terms. What, What Alfred does is he establishes in Bruce's mind that you can't do this forever. You, if you want to live a normal life, you're going to have to seize that opportunity. And while Alfred thought that that was now, Bruce sees a better opportunity for that later. Because Batman could have blown up the bomb and just returned to Gotham and been like, we did it, Gotham, we're back, baby. But instead, he seizes the opportunity to fake his death and leave the bat as a symbol and to escape and have his own life. He feels like his his watch has ended. And I think that Alfred deserves a lot of credit for him thinking that way. I don't like. I agree with like that's his motive. That that's Bruce's motivation. But I don't agree that, that Alfred pushes him toward that realization. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. At the very least, I think that Alfred is intended to push him towards that realization because Alfred's Maybe, pushing but it's for not, retirement it's certainly throughout not the whole explicit. movie. And like the whole like him leaving like in the middle there or whatever like it doesn't help the situation at all. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't convince Bruce of anything. He just he's just mad at Alfred now. Well, I've stated my case. I'm 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 willing okay. to move on here into <laughs> Me too. Oh, would you look at the time? Uh Joey, I think you know what time it is. It's time for us to go a little deeper. 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 Okay, so this has been well documented. Uh the thing I'm about to bring up um is actually listed um at the end of this Wikipedia article that I read about this book, The The Tale of Two Cities. Uh, this movie heavily references The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, um, and there's a lot of things that it pulls from it, uh, which I think is pretty interesting. And I didn't realize this until I actually read The Tale of Two Cities a couple of years ago, and that they mentioned a few, they have a couple lines in there that are referenced directly in this movie, such as, the fire rises. That's something that Bane says, um, which is a chapter in the book, The Tale of Two Cities. And also that poem at the very end that uh, Gordon is reading is part of the uh, monologue of the at the very end of Tale of Two Cities. Now, hold on. The fire rises. Is that from the scene in the airplane where he says, yes. they expect one of us in the, wreck- in the wreckage, brother? And then and, he's, and the guy says, uh, um, have we started the fire? Okay. And then he responds, he says, the fire rises. The fire rises. Very cool. That's that's because <laughs> cool. that's an epic scene already, and to have it be a reference to another work, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So Gordon's little speech at the uh, at the funeral when he says, "It is a far far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far far better rest than I go to than I have ever known." Is a reference to um, the Tell Two Cities, and it's a it's a monologue from one of the characters right before they are killed um, by uh, sacrificing themselves so that someone else can survive. So. Again, that's pretty similar. There's, act- there's actually a lot of things that are similar to it, and I'll bring up a couple of things. First of all, the failure of structures. So there's like a whole, um, this, is, this whole movie is, or the whole book is set during uh, the French Revolution and all the chaos that goes on during that. Um, so the, there's, a stri- there's a structure that is in place that uh, collapses under the weight of the people, which is, of course, a reference to, uh, not a reference, but the movie references heavily with the, the underclass uh, kicking out the, the rich people out of their hotels or buildings or whatever and taking over everything, right? Um, that whole anarchy system um, is a reference to Tale of Two Cities. But the, the, uh, there's a whole like kangaroo court that's set up in the book uh, where they're like, oh, we're going to um, you know, bring people in and, and charge them for crimes and stuff. But uh, they they don't actually they're not actually guilty of anything, um, and that happens in the book too. There's somebody who is part of a family, a family that he has uh, disowned himself from, but because he was part of that um, aristocracy, uh, he is uh, determined to be killed 
uh, as are his daughters, um, which is uh, interesting from a standpoint of Bruce Wayne, too, because he actually marries into a like servant class. Um, and then that uh, um, and then they're, they're supposed to kill him because he is, used to be part of, uh, you know, the rich class. Um, and Bruce kind of does something similar when he loses all of his money. He becomes, he goes from the rich class to the poor class, becomes one of the normal citizens in a way. They even um, towed his car outside the yeah. courthouse. <laughs> Although he got to keep the house. So that's the one thing. Well, yeah, and Anne Hathaway um, has some words for him. He's like, even the rich don't go broke like the rest of us. Like, Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't have any power. So, I mean, well, no, and I, an Alfred. I want to talk a little bit more about the kangaroo court too, because uh, first off, that's Scarecrow who's running yes. this running the court which is cool to see him make his return but also it shows that this isn't exactly the best way to go about it like i know that bane is making his argument like his anti-capitalist argument but this is kind of an argument against it too like it's it's there's no justice here they're just saying like anybody that they don't like instantly dies and they even say it's not a court it's a sentencing hearing so if you yeah. show up you're you're already guilty so yeah it's i i mean I don't think Bane is actually trying to make a compelling case for this. He tries to convince the people of the city that this is the, the answer. But as far as the audience watching this film, you, this anarchy is definitely not very, uh, you know, attractive. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that's interesting about um, Tale of Two Cities is that it's definitely like it's very sympathetic toward the poor, but it's written for the rich. It's written for people in England. Uh, to, to warn them that if they're not careful about like how they treat the poor, the same thing could happen here. And like this movie kind of is, is similar in that way, where it's like um, Bane's uh, ideology, Bane's uh, myth that he's perpetuating, is beneficial on the in the short term for these people, but it's empty. It's an empty promise, and it's going to end in tragedy no matter what. So like this is this is kind of a, a warning that like. You may seem this. You may see this as a best case forward, best best foot forward, but really you're just making everything worse, um, in, in a, a lot of ways. Well, that's really There's cool. Also, I had no, I had no yeah. freaking idea that a Tale of Two Cities was so heavily referenced. That's that's awesome. There's also the destruction of the prison, which is like a direct reference. There's a thing. It's called the Bastille. Um, uh, one of the first things that the revolutionaries do in the book is they destroy a prison. Um, that prison is like meant to be for like the rich is uh, the like people who offend the king like he gets to throw anyone in prison and that's the person he throws them in um and so it's a, it's a symbol of oppression which is exactly how um bane describes the prison in this movie um he calls it a symbol of oppression by the oppressors um and that they need to liberate the people within obviously the people in this prison in the movie probably deserve to be in there because they're all part of like they're integral cogs in the in the organized crime machine as gordon says but um in the in the uh, book these people don't deserve to be in prison and the liberation of them is a good thing so yeah another good thing there there's also this whole thing with between dark and light which plays a big part in this movie because uh, bane is part of the darkness that that uh, bruce tries to embrace but obviously he can't because you know bane has that great line you were born in dark. No, what was he say? You uh, think the darkness you, is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, the darkness and light is a classic theme in literature. So, you know, having the evil people or the bad people be dark um, and ha casting shadows, um, whereas everyone else kind of radiates light, um, is a you know, a big part of that. And obviously that shows up in this movie too, because um, even though he is the dark knight, 
uh, he is often working during the day, especially at the end when he's facing Bane and when he goes off and uh, takes off the the uh, the bomb, it blows up in a big burst of light. So it's good stuff there. There's also a whole thing about water as destruction or chaos in the book. Um, there's a lot of uh, care like the mob is often uh, characterized as a um, as like a, a, a river or a sea, something that's like chaotic and like hard to control. And they describe the individual people as droplets in a sea of like chaos. Um, so in this movie, there's actually a couple different things with water. Right. First of all, Bane is in the sewers. Um, and he's throwing people into the water. And then when they destroy the reactor, uh, that's done with water. So some water as destruction. Yeah, this, Anyways, this, the of- sewer is where the legends truly reside. I think if our, our Minecraft episode truly established that. <laughs> <laughs> Did not see Ratman in the sewers in this movie. He would have overshadowed Bane. So we had to mm. let Bane have the spotlight this time. I see, I see. He was really, he was the one behind Miranda. That's right. <laughs> it was Batman's plot all over he, uh, Ratman's he, plot. He inherited the, like, the role of um, Ra's al Ghul after Ra's al Ghul was killed. That's right. <laughs> Rat Zalgul is actually his original. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, um, there's a, there's lots more similarities between Tale of Two Cities and uh, this movie, and it it is like Christopher Nolan has said that this is a direct reference to that book. So yeah, it's a interesting thing to do to make your superhero movie really reference some uh, classic. It might make you want to pick up a book. Yeah, that book is good too. It's surprisingly. Uh, surprisingly good. It's old. Uh, really it's old Charles Dickens, right? Dicky boy. Charlie Dick. Yeah, <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I said that. <laughs> um, the next, the next thing I want to talk about is the whole theme with rich versus poor. We've already touched on this a bunch of times, but I want to kind of go through this quickly. First of all, Anne Hathaway as the anarchist. One of the quotes she has is, uh, "I take what I need from those who have more than enough. I don't stand on the shoulders of people with less." So, yes, this is a, like a direct reference to her ideology and the way that she sees uh, it um, justifies her actions. Um, Bane and his goons often pretend to be normal people. Uh, they're not special and they're certainly not rich. But the, when Bane is captured at the very beginning, right, um, he is he has a hood over his head, just like the other goons. Right. He just pretends to be one of the people uh, when uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, shows up he's like this is uh you know this is some of bane's guys you know he doesn't say this is bane he says this is some of bane's guys uh, implying that they're you know that bane is kind of one of the guys right he's just he's not the leader he's just uh you know he's just the guy with the best ideas well it's also a very league of shadows move to yeah. not to pretend to not be the league of shadows leader very true very true um there's also a bane's quote here he says doesn't matter who we are what matter? What doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. Um, this is kind of a reference to the greatest resources that Bane has, which is the amount of people he's able to join to his side. All these people that are willing to die for him. All these mercenaries that are like uh, willing to enact his plan. Um, you know, what he's saying here when he says that it doesn't matter who we are. Um, it's he's saying that our idea, our ideology, our you know plan is greater than any one person. So, you know, it doesn't matter if one of us dies or if all of us die, if it, as long as the, our plan lives on. So that's kind of interesting, especially since that's exactly what happens. After Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows is burned to the ground, uh, something else rises up to fulfill Gotham's destiny uh, as perpetuated by Ra's al Ghul. Right, and I don't know how heavily Bane reiterated this, but it's pretty obvious that they're all going to die in that explosion, so they're pretty comfortable with death. 
Yeah, they are. Um, and like all of Bane's goons are like jan like uh, they're janitors or shoe shiners or whatever, right? They they act like normal people. They pretend to be normal people. Um, and of course, when uh, that uh, um, chase give, when that chase gives way and Batman reappears, uh, Bane is ignored in favor of chasing the Batman, who is seen as the higher priority target. Right? He is the bigger he's the bigger caller uh then you know they didn't know who bane was um they didn't care who bane was uh which is a mistake obviously yeah. because then bane ends up taking over the city so it's interesting that like again like everyone's kind of blinded to this idea that the rich or like the powerful or anything are the people that are really in charge when really it's bane and his and he's able to slip under the radar by pretending to be a normal person um there's also the whole idea of like the arrogance of the rich um, so like the clean energy project that Bruce tries to uh, implement is like overtaken and then used as for evil. Um, it's like, it's kind of saying like, oh, Bruce Wayne thought that he could save the city by using all of his resources, but really he's just doomed us all. Um, it's kind of a good twist. I don't like, I feel like that's a, you're kind of looking through it through lidded, like, you know, you're kind of squinting at it to make that work because Bane's kind of pitching this idea, but it certainly works in from his point of view that like he can use the riches um uh that batman has to oppress the city uh but the same thing is true when he steals the uh the tank cars right, right. and when he steals all of his resources from um wayne enterprises um all that stuff is used as weapons of oppression yeah it's definitely a uh, cool part of this film where you get to see wayne tech versus wayne tech like the sure. flying batmobile versus the the road batmobiles a, a vehicle that? like yeah. vehicles that used to be totally you know, invincible in the first movie. Now Batman has to take them on himself. Yeah. I was, I always wondered about that. I was like, how do you, what do you do? Do you design your, your weapons, like you design your tank to be able to take the, um, the weapons of your tank. Does that make sense? Like if you have two of the same tank fighting each other, which is, which is going to survive the armor or the, like the, uh, the bullet, like the, 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 uh, the cannon. I mean, most tanks, it would be the, the bullet or is it, it's the bullet's not going to survive but it's going to break well, through mean, like, the armor going to do more like yeah is it going to break the armor like do you make your tank not able to withstand the uh the attack from its own weapon um i mean if you're fighting <laughs> other anti-tank weapons i feel like the whole point is to be able to break through a tank so that's true i don't know i don't know how to answer that question that's just something i think about a lot <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but then there's, of course, like Batman himself is a symbol of the um, aristocracy, right? Um, he, he is described as a man of privilege by the man, the men in the, uh, in the, in the prison. Uh, so, like, how much can he really accomplish when he is kind of having to fight the very thing that he perpetuates, right? The only reason he can become Batman is because he has the resources and the, and the money and the time to, to uh, you know, do this kind of thing. Um, and you know, if he was just a normal person, then all of these gadgets and stuff wouldn't exist and he would not be nearly as successful as, as he is. So, um, you know, Batman is kind of uh, not perpetuating, but benefiting heavily from this system that he's, that Bane is trying to overturn. Um, there's also, but then there's kind of this other thing too. Batman could be anybody is something that uh, Bruce says to Blake. Um, like, and I, I want to use that quote I said from... Uh, Razal Ghul here too. You yourself fought against the decadence of Gotham for years. Like that, that whole idea um, shows that Batman is kind of in line with uh, Bruce with uh, Bane's plan, um, and the whole idea that Batman could be anybody 
like also um, supports that idea that like Bruce doesn't agree with the fact that he, Batman has to be a rich guy. He he could be anybody, and that's kind of the whole point. So I don't know. It's again aligning the uh, the uh, values of our villain and our hero. Yeah, I mean Robin, the the incumbent Batman. Uh, not the incumbent, the uh, the next Batman up. He's not necessarily from a rich background. Now he has access no. to that stuff, but again, it's not that he's from wealth. So I guess that kind of does confirm that anybody could be Batman. But I think you need to have your founding Batman be rich to get the ball rolling. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way because the only way that Batman can be successful is because he has all of this, you know, all these rich toys and all this stuff that he can do. Yeah. Um, and the only reason that like he's celebrated is because he has so much moral authority because he has such a, you know, he is so set in his goal of justice, right? But he could easily use, be using this money for oppressing everyone and, and doing things that his own way and, you know, beating up bad guys in his Halloween costume. Like it all, it could all be done poorly, right? Uh, and if it was the real world, you see lots of examples of people using their wealth and power to enact horrible th- things on other people. So it's, you know, like he makes the Bane makes a really good point here in that, like, the, you know, being rich or having all these resources and everything doesn't necessarily make you a good person. And maybe we should be um, reevaluating or redistributing that. I don't know. So it's an interesting uh, question, but I don't know if we get answers out of this movie, really. We don't get answers at all, no. And Bane is certainly the bad guy, and I don't agree with anything he does in this movie. But that's the point that he brings up. There's a, okay, the last thing I want to bring up with the rich versus poor is that at the football game, the only part of the stadium that is exploded is the box. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Where the, like, the mayor yes. is? Um, and like, he's up there with his friends enjoying his cushy uh, you know, football experience, probably eating shrimp or something. And then he gets exploded. Nobody else, except for I guess the football players who fall in the big pit, die. So like it's a, uh, you know, uh, it's like again like the only people that suffer necessarily, the only people that are supposed to suffer are the rich. I also kind of saw that as the uh, the destruction of the status quo. Um, oh, yeah. I, I definitely follow my the the mayor of Oklahoma City on Twitter, and basically his job is to go do stuff in our city and just be like a part of the community. I mean, obviously he has actual legislative or executive responsibilities but as far as his the way he presents himself to the community is he's someone who's at all the important stuff that's happening in the city you know he's at basketball games he's at soccer games he's at baseball games he's at the marathon he's at the 5k he's at everything and to destroy him is like okay that's over now we're into a new era of what the status quo and uh, mm. and by destroying the like the figurehead for government inside of the city, you're opening it up to the possibility of anything else. So I think that that also works a lot with what Bane is going for as far as giving the power to the people. Okay, let's. Uh, okay, so fine. The the last thing. This isn't necessarily uh, related to the movie, but it is tangentially. So the reason we picked this movie is because uh, that guy you heard at the beginning of the episode, DJ Jones, number ninety three, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, I am a, a friend of his, and this is actually his favorite movie. And um, so I, I have kind of like a little personal story to talk about because I think this is really cool. So DJ and I went to public school together in South Carolina, and. Everyone knew that DJ was going to play football. DJ is a big man. He's always been, uh, you know, built for football. He's always played football, of course. And uh, I even in like public school, like growing up, I always told DJ he was going to get drafted to my 49ers because I love the 49ers and I 
wanted to know someone who played for them, I guess. And uh, even though I was really hoping that DJ would go to um, college at the college I went to because we're a big football school, he ended up going to East Mississippi, which if you're a football fan and you've ever heard of Last Chance University, it's uh, I think Amazon has that series. Not sure. Anyways, he went to that school and eventually went to Ole Miss and my senior year of college, I was on a brewery, brewery tour or a, um, you know, those beer bikes where it's like yes. pedals on all sides. I always wanted to do one of those. So yes. Cool. It, it was honestly, do not wear jeans to that. <laughs> <laughs> you need to wear something where you can move your legs a lot, which seems obvious, but it's not like fun. Or as far as it, like a workout, you will have to push yourself to keep this thing moving if you go far enough. So, um, yeah, definitely wear like some gym shorts or something to this, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And I was towards the end of one, so a bunch of beers in me. And the the third day of the NFL draft was on t- uh, television, and I just happened to be in a bar looking up, and I was like, "Oh, the 49ers are making their sixth round selection." And then this dude that I've known since second grade's name rolls scrolls across the bottom that he'd been drafted to my favorite team ever like the 49ers are by far my favorite sports team of any sport and i went through the roof man i was like oh i was like telling random people at the bar like i know that guy oh my god this can't believe this is happening like i knew he was gonna get drafted i i knew dj was talented enough to play and like professional football but for him to a one in 32 chance to join my favorite team just totally it was it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in professional sports. And uh so it was sixth round, pick one hundred and ninety-eight, uh DJ Jones to the 49ers. It totally blew me away. I couldn't believe it. And uh DJ I mean a six round pick is no guaranteed career and dj has done the the hard work he's he's played well and he's maintained a spot on that roster in he's starting his third season this year and for me it's just been absolutely transcendent um to 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 know somebody who plays and to and and it's just been a really amazing um thing for me obviously an amazing thing for him as well to play in the nfl but and DJ is a really good guy, too. I mean, we we knew each other in high school, of course, but we weren't, like, best friends or anything. And last Christmas, I went to San Francisco to visit my family, and I went to a game, and DJ, uh, I, I got to meet up with DJ on the sideline. He signed my jersey. He signed my hat. And after the game, he took me and my brother and my cousin out to dinner and hung out with us after the game, which he doesn't have to do. He's, a, he's an NFL player, but he's a very down-to-earth guy, and he's super cool. And then after that, my uncle was, like, late picking us up so dj actually we went into his uh car and he has like the heads up display that can play dvds and we watched the like last 35 minutes of this movie in his car yeah (laughs) Yeah, because this is dj's favorite movie of course and uh so i just thought it'd be cool you know to pay back the favor in a way if we did an episode about it and talked about his favorite movie because i i know dj really loves bane i think he incorporates a little bit of bane into his game uh on the the nfl field i think it's very obvious blowing up the stadium is that what you're saying (laughs) destroying the field (laughs) yes in a sense um so shout outs uh dj jones my my currently my favorite 49er uh on the roster and i'm excited to see what he does this season but yeah just a little personal story for me and definitely the inspiration behind choosing this movie because we have done a lot of batman on this podcast (laughs) and it was going to take a big reason for us to return and i think this was good enough reason for me okay are we ready to talk about our ratings joey yeah, let's do our ratings. You go first. I give this movie eight years in exile. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> Why eight years? That's how long he was in the in exile, wasn't he? In the in the, in the wow, movie. Wow, eight years in exile. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I give this movie five grappling hooks and an extra little uh, respirator in case you have breathing troubles. Oh, very nice. How many of those grappling hooks actually grab something, and how many of them actually kill you? All five of them grab something, and all five of them kill you when you fall. So, uh, <laughs> all right, Joey, what are we doing next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing the movie Contact. All right, and I've never seen Contact. I don't know anything about it, so this will be an exciting one for me. Ooh, this will be exciting. And uh, we'll do that next week, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at Affable Chat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh